Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Trickeration. Welcome to Trickeration, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Trickeration, the highest rated, most listened to number one show about deception in sports. Probably, who knows, not important. Thank you guys for tuning in. People are still buzzing about last week's interview with Pete Rapucci, the fake Mariners doctor who convinced Harry Pitcher, Rich DeLucia, he was suffering from werewolf syndrome. Make sure to check that one out if you haven't already. This week, we've got yet another explosive story about Patriots cheating that I wouldn't have believed unless I saw the video with my own eyes. All right, on to the show. They called him the man in the trench coat. And the film of it is very clear. You see this guy kind of sneaking in and the next thing you know, you know, he's knocking down a pass. And just so we can put this to bed, are we 100 percent sure the man in the trench coat was not Billy Sullivan? No. <laughs> no. In 1960, a young businessman named Billy Sullivan wanted to bring a professional football team to Boston. The stumbling block, the American Football League's price tag for a new team was a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, my dad didn't have two hundred fifty thousand dollars, so he put together ten guys, and they each put in twenty-five grand apiece. Rumor had it that Billy's wife wanted to spend the money on a summer house, but Billy wanted a football team. That's absolutely true. <laughs> she had her eye on a house on the Cape, and uh, he had his eye on a football team. So he won out on that one. Uh, you know, m- my dad was a real visionary guy, and um, I think he saw the potential of football for sure. The voice you're hearing is Billy's son, Patrick, who was nine years old when the team that eventually became the New England Patriots joined the AFL. It was a blast. <laughs> it was 
you know, I mean, the players were fabulous guys. You know, they 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 all had other jobs. They practice in the morning and they go and they, they teach school. Some guys worked at banks. Some guys worked for insurance companies. Some guys sold cars. So everybody had a job, and it was you know, football was fun for them. The total payroll for the Patriots in their first year was three hundred thirty thousand dollars for everybody. <laughs> you know, that was thirty-five guys. I mean, they'd be making nine or ten grand a year, which was pretty good walking around money in 1960, 61, the old AFL. Um, there was a lot of fun to it. The relationship between the players and the management of the team and the ownership of the team was very informal. I mean, you know, we used to have players to our house for Thanksgiving and guys that, you know, came from out of town and, and had nowhere to go. I mean... It was just a different way of life than it is today. And is there anything that you could explain to demonstrate just how shoestring this league was back then compared to what we think of football now? Uh, well, the American Football League was known for high-scoring games. It was, you know, games would be 45-42, 48-40, you know, stuff like that. So there were a lot of field goals and extra points. Uh <laughs> I mean, one thing that we did was uh, we had a squad of ball boys when somebody was going to kick a field goal or an extra point. There were no nets. Nobody thought about the nets at the time. You know, my job as a little one was to when the ball dropped, which it inevitably did, either drop through the stands or on the ground somehow or another. My job was to pick it up and run away. And, you know, that saved us about 35 bucks a ball. The Patriots through the years have become known as a team that would push the limits of fair play. Obviously, this was a very different time. But would those Boston Patriots push the limits of what was considered legal and fair? I would say that probably the most nefarious thing that we did that I was personally involved in is that we used to spray our offensive linemen with silicone. And, you know, it, was, it, it prevented a defensive lineman from grabbing an offensive lineman's jersey, or at least it helped prevent it. Now, they did not have a rule prohibiting that, but they did after somebody figured out, I don't know, one of the guys that we were spraying with silicone went to another team and said, hey, do you know New England doing this? So that was probably the most nefarious thing that we did, and then the league outlawed that. But, you know, I mean, look, a lot of people in the league whatever they could possibly do to gain an advantage without breaking the rules, they did. You know, and that's part of being competitive. Having an extra player on the field was definitely against the rules. But what if that player wasn't actually in uniform? This absurd scenario presented itself in the final play of a game between the Patriots and the Dallas Texans on November 3rd, 1961. It was a regular season game. Then I was seated up in the almost the very top row of the stands, right under the press box at, at uh, what's now Nickerson Field. And uh, the Texans were in a different division than we were in, but they had a really good team, and we had a good team, and I think they came in with a similar record to ours at that time. And the game was sold out. I mean, it was really a great scene. At the end of the fourth quarter, the Patriots lead by a touchdown, 28-21. The Texans are on the three-yard line trying to punch in the tying score. In their excitement, a large faction of the over 25,000 Boston fans in attendance that day get out of their seats and surround the end zone as the Patriots are able to hold on for the win. 
but supposedly the referees award the Texans one final and fateful play because the fans were actually partially in the end zone. That is true. That, that in fact, did happen. And you can see, if you look at the film, it's film. It's all black and white film. You can see, you know, that they're trying to push people back with ropes, using ropes to keep them off the field. But what you don't see is that crush of people that came on the field before that caused the referees to say, okay, we're going to give you another shot at this because it's not legitimate to have all these people in the end zone. And so they, uh, they did. And, you know, that was sort of part and parcel to the old AFL. The referees were always very, um, you know, they, they were flexible. And I do know that they were given an extra play. So the last play of the game, take me through this one. Cotton Davidson was the quarterback, and they call a pass. He was throwing a crossing pattern to uh, Chris uh, Chris Burford, who was a wide receiver for them. And the film of it is very clear. You see this guy kind of sneaking in, and the next thing you know, you know he's 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 knocking down a pass. I highly recommend you watch this play on YouTube. From the right of the screen, a man in a gray trench coat jogs into the end zone and basically lines up at middle linebacker for the Patriots. The ball snapped, and the Texans quarterback's game-tying pass is floating towards his open receiver. But just before it reaches him, the man in the trench coat extends his right arm and knocks the ball to the ground as time expires. <laughs> it was, you know, it was amazing because he actually went right by a referee, and the referee didn't do anything. You know, it was kind of, it was just, I don't know, it was... It was um... The whole set of circumstances was, was kind of funny. And, you know, there was very little mention of it in the papers the next day. And it's funny, you know, for years, nobody nobody asked me about it. And, you know, it just was one of those things that happened. Searching through newspapers.com, all the game stories from that day detail an exciting back and forth game. But I found only one mention of the man in the trench coat in the third paragraph of a sidebar tucked into page 13 of the Boston Globe. Here's what it says, quote, The Patriots had a 12th man on defense in that final play. A spectator in a gray jacket lined up on the Patriots secondary and raced into a milling group of players to rush passer Cotton Davidson, end quote. And that's all it says. And then the article ends. And do you remember seeing this fan at the time or you like most people, saw it on film after the fact. I, I saw it on film after the fact. And has there been any attempt to figure out who the man in the trench coat was? I don't know the answer to that. It just, uh, as I said, you know, it was something that was like a non-incident, you know, which just didn't really have the kind of legs that the other controversial things uh, had in the, in the AFL. And uh, I guess sort of the ultimate funny result of this was that Lamar Hunt, who owned the Texans, who was an absolutely marvelous man, you know, and was the founder of the AFL, um, he he accused my dad of being the guy that knocked the pass down. And when Lamar Hunt was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame, he notes that he always thought that Billy Sullivan was the man in the trench coat in 1961. And when Lamar Hunt levied this fun charge against your dad, what was your dad's response? Did he try and keep it alive or, or did he quickly say, no, that was not me? 
Uh, no, he actually said, you know, that's for somebody else to determine. And he, he kind of got a kick out of it. And you had to understand my father and his relationship with Lamar. And he, he would never say, oh, no, no, that wasn't me. He, he actually enjoyed it. And had, they had fun with it until the day my dad died. And just to, to so we can put this to bed, are we 100 percent sure the man in the trench coat was not Billy Sullivan? I, I'm I'm not 100% sure, although watching the guy move, it didn't look like my dad. And, and he always sat right next to me during the games. And I don't remember if he was actually sitting next to me at that very point in time. And knowing your father, two things. One, did he often wear trench coats? And two, was this the kind of thing he would have done to win a football game? He definitely would have done it to win a football game, but he never wore trench coats. So... I, I can't definitively say it wasn't him, except, you know, just looking at the film, it was not the kind of way that my dad moved around, you know, so I'd say it was probably not him. <laughs> and, and say this happened last year, you know, Deshaun Watson drops back to pass, the Texans are playing Patriots, and, and Deshaun throws a slant and, and a Pats fan runs out slaps the ball on the last play. What do you think the response would be with a play like that? Well, you know, it'd be crazy. Who is this guy? And, you know, there'd be research about what his psychology is. I mean, it would be, you know, I mean, it would be, it would be seven ways to Sunday uh, researched and thought about. It would be, I don't know, that would be an act of God, you know, to do something like that. And, we all see um, how much replay has um, infected, I would use as the word, sports today. Looking back, is there something sort of nice about the fact that this wasn't something that was reviewed a million times, that it just happened and life moved on, and as opposed to now where every inch of every play is, is reviewed? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think there's a lot of things about the start of the AFL. There's a lot of um, there was a lot of charm to it, and uh, <laughs> it was, you know, it was another great twist to what the AFL really represented, which was just, you know, they call the NFL the No Fun League. The AFL was always fun. <laughs> it was always fun. All right, a big thank you to Patrick Sullivan for sharing this caper. Now comes the hard part. If you or anyone you know has any information about the identity of the man in the trench coat, the tip line is open. Email us at trickerationnation at gmail.com. It's high time to solve this unsolved sports mystery. And if you or someone you know has ever run out of the stands and helped decide a professional sporting event, we'd also love to hear from you. What else? Um... Oh, and please rate and review the show if you're liking it. And don't forget to join us next week as I speak with a tennis hack who tried to win the member guest doubles tournament at his country club by teaming up with the number one player in the world. Be sure to tune in and see how that worked out. And finally, as we always do, we check in with the legend, Chris Mad Dog Russo. Chris, how'd we do this week? Maddie, good job. Keep up the good work, pal. All right. Thanks, Chris. See you next week. Trickeration is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.